I want to speak to you now on the topic of the unchanging Christ, the one who never changes. As we shall see in the scripture readings, we're told to keep our eyes fixed on him who is the originator and the perfecter of our faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, the unchanging Christ. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author, the originator, the finisher, the perfecter, of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls." Then over the page, Hebrews 13, verses 7 and 8. Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines, for it is good that the heart be established by grace, not with foods which have not profited those who've been occupied with them. I needn't remind you, it is very obvious. 21st century is proving to be a century of rapid change. 2019 hasn't made a difference. Change change and more change. Indeed, we live in a society that is uncertain about most things. We live in a generation that's uncertain. We live in a world full of uncertainty. The whole Brexit thing, now I know you come here to escape Brexit, but the point is, Brexit has produced a sense of even deeper uncertainty. Politically, does any of us really know what will happen in this coming week, where our government will be? We don't know. Political uncertainty, economic uncertainty, that's what really begins to shake people when they think the pound that is in their pocket, let alone the pound that is not yet in their pocket, is threatened. Social changes, we're still in that process of a social shift away from the Christian values that the nation and indeed much of Europe is founded on, as those values are opposed, eroded, and ridiculed. We live in a world of fast-moving technological change. At a conference, technological conference last year, where we're looking at how we can use technology to reach different nations in the world, and it was reported to us some of the rapid changes that are in voice recognition technology. 
I tell you what, the bots are everywhere. Uh, don't think that when you call up a major institution to talk to them that you're talking to a human being. You're talking to a robot very, very often, and that may be helpful, but it does bring a load of questions. Even in terms of travel, why this very week I met with European people who were saying, we don't know if we're ever going to get back into Britain. We don't know if our parents can come and live here in Europe because of Brexit, Brexit, Brexit. Well, in the midst of all of this change, uncertainty, I want to tell you about Jesus. He never changes. He is the unchanging constant in an ever-changing world. He is the objective reality in a world full of conflicting and confusing emotions and human opinions. He is the good news in a world of bad news and, very often, fake news. He is the anchor that steadies the soul, the truth that can be trusted. He is the unfailing, unchanging Christ. The south of France is for many people a dream destination. I work very often in Marseille, which is the, I don't know, it is not the best part of the south of France. Go up the coast, La Côte d'Azur, and there you have the uh, Promenade des, des Anglais, and you've got all this amazing stuff, Saint-Tropez, and what goes beyond that, and what goes on there. But Marseille, beautiful city, it's... Uh, doesn't quite have the polish of the other places, but beautiful city. But it has one major problem. It's the Mistral. Have you heard of the Mistral? The Mistral is that wind, northwesterly wind, that blows cold air from the north, which is funneled through the Loire Valley, the Rhone Valley, and there it explodes into tempestuous winds that come and go as they please. You don't know how long it's going to last. You just know it is wind and it's cold and it's miserable. And why do they boast? They boast of the blue skies. Yes, because the wind has blown all, this, all the clouds away. They boast of the clear air. Yes, the wind has blown the dust away. As they say, it is an ill wind that blows nobody any good. But for the seafarers, the mariners, it is highly, highly dangerous. I even watched once in a harbor, which was more like a modern marina. In the harbor there, the Le Vieux Port, the old port, uh, it's all protected. There are barricades and there are uh, places which keep the, keep the tides away and keep the wind away. And yet there, when the mistral blows, even the port is blowing, blowing, blowing. And I watched as very expensive yachts, 5,000, 500,000, 5 million, 5 billion worth of yachts. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Some people live like that. God have mercy on them. Anyway, those people. And, and there, even in, the, in this relative safe haven of the port, you need to be firmly moored. You need that anchor firmly fixed. And even in the port, if a boat cuts adrift, it's highly dangerous and destructive. Imagine now what it is like to ride the storm on the open seas of the Mediterranean. They close down all the ferries, they close down all the boats, it's impossible. But the truth is, friends, if the safe haven 
of the port is a bit like us this morning. Here we are, gathered in rows. There's still a few gaps, but never mind. I'll get over it. There we are, safely moored, and our anchor is in Christ. But even here, we need to make sure, and doubly sure, that we are firmly moored to the person of Jesus Christ. That's one of the reasons, the principal reasons for gathering. And throughout the week in your cell groups where you are more personally and specifically looking at the word of God to you with the help of your brothers and sisters, make sure your moorings, your riggings, and your anchor is in place. But the moment we move from here, we leave the relative safety of a marina, of a port, and we go out onto the high seas where the high winds blow and the tides come. And they have but one purpose, and that is to blow you off course, to pull you away from your firm commitment to Jesus Christ. It's the truth that we face. The Apostle Paul describes it like this. Ephesians 4 verses 14 and 15 say, and he's speaking about maturity, speaking about teaching and building one another up, not just the Sunday sermons, but taking the word of God seriously week by week in your open cells and your leadership cell groups. They're growing into maturity, and Paul has a purpose. He says, you need to grow to maturity in Christ. Why? That you should no longer be children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine. Now listen to this. By the trickery of men, the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. My, 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 I hear the hiss of the serpent's tongue, the craftiest of all the creatures in the Garden of Eden. For behind seemingly innocuous and harmless opinions of men, very often is the work of the enemy who tries to take the mind captive to pull you away from the truth that is in Jesus Christ. Now, the book of Hebrews, in many ways, is written to address exactly that problem. There was a group of Christians. There were Hebrew believers, either converts from Judaism, uh, as they were, into Christ, or national Jewish people. We don't exactly know. But what we do know is that they had abandoned everything, all of their religious background, not just to abandon it, but to see in Christ the fulfillment of everything that they had dreamed for. But the moment they made a public commitment to follow Christ, that's when the problems began. Now, if I was an evangelist today and wanting to attract as many people as possible without telling the whole truth, this is what I would say. Come to Jesus and all your problems will be solved. Come to Jesus and you will be happy. Now, we know that there is joy in serving Jesus, and we know that what he gives, no one can take away. He gives a peace, a sense of love and satisfaction that is irreplaceable and, in fact, cannot be found anywhere else. But to be more honest, I would have to say, come to Jesus, and you will find help for all your difficulties, but you will find a whole lot new set of difficulties as you seek to navigate your faith in the storms of life. And so today I remind you, keep your anchor firm. And so what had happened to them, they, they were fit, had so much persecution and opposition, they had their property confiscated, their goods spoiled, nobody had yet 
been killed for their faith, but it looked like very, very closely that would happen. And they were beginning to wonder and saying, oh, no, 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 maybe we've done the wrong thing. I know people who have come to Christ because they thought that would give them access to health, wealth, perfect relationships. And when it doesn't work out, they say, okay, I forget about this Jesus. Is there another God out there that can give me what I want? It's the truth. We need to be anchored in Christ no matter what our circumstances. He comes first in good times, bad times, stormy times, peaceful times. He is the one constant who can keep us true to the end. So the writer to the book of Hebrews tries to, not tries to, he actually does, address this matter. And he reminds them of many things. One of the things he says, Jesus is the fulfillment of all things. First of all, he's talking about the Old Testament scriptures which pointed to Christ. Why would you seek an earthly priest when you have a heavenly priest? Why would you seek an earthly mediator when we have a heavenly mediator? Why would we seek earthly comforts when we have the promises of God for our future life? So he's talking to them particularly from, about, from their background, but I think it applies to everything. Jesus is the one source of true fulfillment and lasting satisfaction. And here's how it happens. You see, we have these ideas, these dreams, and we think, if only I could be that person, whatever his name was, God bless them. What a lovely couple. What did they win? 750 million. God bless them. Not that we are thinking, if only that was us. Well, I did think that just for a moment until I sorted myself out. Or we think maybe it's that relationship. Maybe there's a certain very important person. Maybe they don't even know that you exist, but you know that they exist. And Jesus has told you that you are to marry them and you're going to be a happy, happy, happy person. Don't believe it, friends. Marriage doesn't answer the deepest need of the human life. If you're miserable before you're married, you're sure darn are gonna be miserable after you are married. <laughs> Your sufficiency is in Christ. Amen and amen. Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's an ambition. But these things, as important as they are, if you put them on the second level of importance, if you put Jesus first, these other things, they're important, and God loves to bless you with these things. But our faith is not in them. Our faith is in him, whether we get these things or not. Can I have a very strong amen in this house of faith? <laughs> He is the sure and certain hope. There is no one else. Put all your eggs in one basket. He is the one true anchor, the writer says, the one true reference point, the dependable rock, the anchor that fixes you to the one true living and faithful God who has set his love upon you in the terms of an unbreaking, everlasting covenant of love. Hebrews 6 verse 19 says, This hope, we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which enters the presence behind the veil, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Well, unless you are an avid Bible student, you're expression would have just glazed over towards the second half of that verse. But we'll dig out a few of these riches. Let me tell you 
what this means. First of all, he is the ever-living one. Jesus Christ is alive, and he ministers to you in the power of his endless life. What are you looking to anchor your soul? The thing you most hope for, that you believe will give you the most satisfaction, that will indeed give you life. What is it for you? I am thrilled to have so many friends, people who do not yet know Christ. And I'm increasing that friendship all the time. And of all the people that I sit and listen, you know when you're talking to somebody about Jesus, spend most of your time listening. I listen and listen and listen. And over the months, over the weeks, over the years, I've discovered one thing. Wherever they're looking for it, whatever the thing that they believe will give it to them, they are looking for one thing which we are looking for, life. To be alive. I mean really alive. A quality of life that goes even beyond anything this earth can provide. Because the Bible says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. Jesus said, as the Father has life in himself, he's given me to have life in myself, and he is the Lord, the giver of life. You don't know what it is to live until you're in relationship with him. Hebrews 7, 16 to 17 says, this one who has come, not according to the law of a fleshly command, but according to the power of an endless life. He testifies, you are priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Let me unpack that just a little bit. You'll probably know that the priests of the Old Testament came from the tribe of Levi, and they had to establish their pedigree by presenting an impeccable genealogy to prove that they were of that tribe and of that family where they could be priests, Levites, and high priests. And so they had to come with those qualifications. Now, the, our high priest, his name is Jesus. He was not from the tribe of Levi, actually the tribe of Judah in his earthly life. But he is in the order of Melchizedek. Why is that important? So when you go back in the Old Testament, you read the story of Abraham paying tithes to Melchizedek. Melchizedek just appears out of nowhere. He is the priest of the Most High God. We don't know his pedigree. We don't know who his father was. All of that is not recorded for us. He just appears. And the writer of the Hebrews says, yes, that's like Jesus. He has no earthly genealogy that qualifies him. God has qualified him. And, and it's, he just appears in the fullness of life. He has life in himself. And when he died, yes, he died. All the priests died. The earthly priest died, had to be replaced by somebody else. But this one, when he died, his priesthood began. He was resurrected and ascended. And now he's priest not on the earth, but he ever lives in the presence of God to make intercession for us. We have a heavenly high priest who is alive. And therefore, he is ministering out of his life. Today, you feel in your soul, you feel even in your body that you're lacking some zap. God will give you as much a zap as you need. He'll give you more zap than the hottest chilies from Ethiopia. I can tell you that. He will pour out his life to you. Today, receive life. As I say it, receive life. 
in your body, life in your spirit, life in your soul. He is the ever-living one. This week, I was deeply moved. Anybody who's at all human in their sympathy, especially those of us who love following international tennis, to see Andrew Murray, who has been the only hope of British men's tennis, tennis for 77 years made a very poignant and a broken-hearted announcement. His injury is so deep and playing is such agony, he says, I don't think I'm going to make it. Beyond the Australian Open, I don't think I'm going to make it. I wanted to play at Wimbledon one more time. I don't think I'm going to make it. And he broke down several times. My heart went out to him, and I prayed, dear God, I pray he's got something in his life more than tennis. I don't criticize, but I say, we need more than even our purest passion. We need more than even the best of our abilities and talents can cause us to achieve here on earth. We need to put our faith and trust in the rock Christ Jesus, the unchanging one, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Mind you, he has a lot behind him, 45 single titles, three Glam Sand titles, 40, 14 Masters, 1,000 series titles, placing him ninth on the all-time list, two gold medals at the Olympics, and a title in the ATP finals. Congratulations, Andy. You did a good job. Come on, come on. You never know. He might even get to see this. But it's at times of disappointment when all that you've dreamed is taken away from you. So many circumstances are beyond your control. God knows how much you've worked to organize the circumstances under your control so that you can achieve your deepest dream. But when it's removed from you, when you're so disappointed, when you're left bereft, broken and empty, when everything you trusted and hoped for lets you down, all idols in the end fail, but Jesus Christ is the true and the living God. Let him step in right there. Oh, yes, he is the ever-living one. He is also the ever-present one. And his presence is not there to criticize, to mock, and to judge. He is ever-present in his capacity as faithful and merciful high priest to be with you and have compassion. Psalm 46 verse 1 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Are you in trouble? He's present. In fact, if you look at where your deepest trouble lies, go there, because he's waiting for you. He's there, right where you need him to be. He is ever present. The ministry of the priests was the only ministry in the Old Testament that was exclusively unto the Lord. Consecrate Aaron and his sons that they may serve me as priests. And whenever the priests ministered in the presence, they brought the presence. Just have a look at the history. When they built the tabernacle and the priests ministered, the presence of God came down, his Shekinah glory, Shekinah presence. When they dedicated the temple and the priest ministered, the presence came down. And in the New Testament church, when Jesus, in his high priestly 
office ministers. His presence comes to us. That's why he is both the bearer of the gift of the Spirit and the one who gives us his presence. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6 reminds us that this presence is with us always. There have been times, especially as a young believer, when I didn't know the full truth of this. I felt at times that God had forsaken me. Maybe it was because I didn't get my favorite prayers answered. Or maybe there was something going on where I was not so conscious of his felt presence. But he's never left me. And he's never left you and he never will leave you. Hebrews 13, 5 says, For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Say ça, point final. That's it. It's true. And if we accept that truth, verse 6 says, We may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Now, there's a bedrock of Christian testimony. There's an anchor that will keep your soul in the storms of life. There is the rock Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ who never changes, the unchanging Christ. So where is he particularly present? He's present where you feel you need him most. Where do you need him most today? Maybe today you're struggling just to be here and look as if everything's okay. But inside you are plagued by a sense of weakness. Maybe there's a failure. Maybe there's a whole succession of failures. Maybe there are failure threats everywhere. How about your loneliness? Your pain, whether it be physical, mental, or emotional. Where do you feel the need of him the most? That's where he is. He is the ever-present help in trouble. Now, he's not just present. He's present for a purpose. So he is ever ready, not just ever present, ever ready to help in time of need. Hebrews 4, 16 says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help when? In time of need. Here's the thing. Try and learn this. I struggle with it, you know, even as I preach it to you, so I preach to myself. When we're going through our toughest time, that's often when it's hardest to pray. That's when it's hardest sometimes to connect with other believers who will encourage you. Sometimes you fear there. never mind, praise God, all things work together for good, just trust him, bye-bye. Some of those people I want to give a slap. I can't find in the Bible where I'm allowed to do that. <laughs> because I don't want people to be parrots who just repeat. I want people who will sit where I sit and go through it with me and say, I'm not just going to point out where you're wrong or what you have to do. I'm not going to prescribe anything. I'm going to be with you. And Jesus is the best person at being. Being. He is, first of all, with you. And you know what? That is a help to know you're not alone, but he doesn't just sit with you and say, okay, I can't do anything, but I'm here. No, no, he comes to help. 
He comes to give us more grace. He comes to give us mercy and grace. Why? Why is he so compassionate? He is moved by our infirmities, by our weaknesses and frailty. Why? Because he is not this disembodied spirit. God is spirit. But the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, who is also spirit, came to sit where we sit. He clothed himself in flesh. He became human, really human, and he was tested and tempted in every way that we are, yet without sin. He came out victorious, but he remembers. He knows what it is to feel alone. He knows what it is to bear rejection. He knows what it is to be maligned and to be spoken against. He knows what it is to hunger. He knows what it is to suffer. And not just he knows, he remembers because he didn't leave his body on this planet. He was raised again from the dead and he remains human forever, the resurrected, glorified man, God-man, Jesus Christ. And there in heaven, clothed with flesh, he remembers and he is able to deal mercifully and gently with the people who are wayward or lacking in knowledge and insight. So the holy, heavenly high priest is the one true, reliable source of encouragement. The one who purifies our impurities, cleanses our sin, pronounces total forgiveness, and when we are tempted to be blown off course, he is the anchor that keeps the soul, and he is the rock upon which our life is built. The ancient mariners did not have all the technology or little, any of the technology we have today. So today, even on your smartphone, it can tell you exactly where you are. Don't bother doing it now, but it can tell you exactly how many degrees north, northwest, or where we are, latitude, longitude, it's there. Old days, they never had that. They had to use natural navigation, stellar navigation. They were guided by the constellations and positions of the stars. And there's one star in particular which was crucial to their navigation. It's called the North Star Polaris, the Pole Star. And this is particularly useful because it is positioned almost exactly above the Northern Pole. And because of that, as the Earth rotates around, that star appears to remain in exactly the same place. And so when they could find the North Star, they could calculate their latitude very easily and their longitude, and it was how they navigated. That was the one true, reliable guide for their navigation. Thank God we have our North Star. His name is Jesus. And today as we look to him, not only are we worshipping him, take our eyes off our circumstances, we're looking at him, and almost without us knowing it, we're aligning ourselves with him again. That's why these Sunday services are so important. And when we align our lives with him, we can see whether we've gone off course or adjust our course to be back ready with him again. And so this is how God encourages us. During times of uncertainty, Times of change, we keep our eyes fixed on the unchanging Christ. Give him a big praise, everybody.
we're going to pray together. I know that um, this message has been good medicine for my own soul. Praise God. And I feel the better for having reflected on it this week, prayed about it, shaped a sermon, presented it to you. But I believe it's not just for me, it's for all of us today. Where are you struggling? Listen, don't let yourself be pulled away from the course that Jesus has set for your life. Don't be like those who give up halfway because they're not satisfied that Jesus is giving them everything they want. Put him first. And that means more than simply coming on a Sunday. You see, everything orientates around him. Your home life, your work life, your study life. Everything, your church life, your ministry life, all of that revolves around him. And when we live with that centeredness on who he is, what he's done for us, everything else begins to fall into place.